So to be here with other brothers and sisters in Christ, God, to worship you, we pray that Jesus will be lifted up this morning in everything that's said and everything that's done. We thank you for the worship team and the worship that we've already experienced here this morning. So right now, God, I ask you to open my spiritual eyes and my spiritual ears. Would you pray that right now? Lord, that I could hear from you this morning. Stir deeply within my heart the very issues of my heart that only you know, Lord. Reveal to me where you're speaking. So I pray that your word would come alive in my heart and in my soul and in my mind this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're starting a new sermon series over the book of James. And just to let you know, don't know if we'll make it all the way through the book of James, just kind of to start off with. I'm just looking at chapter one to start off with. We'll just see where God leads us from there. This morning, the title of the sermon is Pain as a Formation of Joy. Now, the interesting thing is, is that off the northern coasts of Australia is some of the largest oysters in the world. They said they're like a foot in diameter. And one of the interesting things is, is they make some of the most valuable pearls in the world there. Some of them are, are worth over a million dollars each. And what they say is that in order for it to, to form this, this pearl, that there has to be a foreign irritant. Okay? Now, I know that, you know, we've always said sand, but, you know, I was watching some videos yesterday, and they said, you know, that, that's just that's a misnomer. It's not actually sand, but it's some kind of a foreign irritant. So I'm asking you this morning... Have you ever experienced a foreign irritant in your mind and in your heart? Yeah, maybe sitting right next to you this morning. (laughs) But here's another thing that has to happen. I didn't know this. This is what I learned is that sometimes an oyster can, can, can form a pearl, but the pearl will not be round. It'll be all misshaped and kind of weird looking. So what happens to this, on the northern coast of Australia, this, there's this one place where they make the best oysters. And here's what happens. There's a real strong tide that comes in and goes out. And what happens is, is it's flipping over these, these clams over and over and over again. So the clam has got to be spinning. There's got to be turmoil. There's got to be the foreign irritant inside of it. And there's got to be turmoil for it to be round. The more round it is, the more valuable the pearl is. So in order for this pearl to be formed, there has to be an outside irritant coming in, irritating it, and then it's got to be turned and just rolled over and over and over again. So pain as a formation of joy, and I would say also your faith. What an interesting subject to start off with this morning. So here's what I want, here's, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm going to try to flesh this out this morning. So here it is. When you truly love Jesus, and what I mean by that is I know that so many times for us in church, we say, yes, I love Jesus, you know, and I'm in love with God. And it's just kind of like a church thing that we say. So when I say that you truly love Jesus... What I mean by that is that your affections for Jesus are more than any affections for anything or anyone else. You see, here's we say this over and over again. This is so important this morning. If your affections are tuned into anything in this world other than Jesus, then here's the guarantee that the Bible gives us and that life experience gives us. 
is that that affection, you will have your heart broken for sure sooner or later. It will crush you. So the only thing that never changes, the only thing that loves you more than anything else that you could ever imagine is God. So in our affections for Jesus, we talk about stirring up those affections. We're talking about getting to the point to where my love for Jesus, it is paramount above everything else in this life and in this world because we know everything is changing, everything is slipping. Man, listen, times are hard. Times are crazy right now. If you don't believe that, just leave here and go to downtown Dallas today. So we need something that's not changing. We need something that we know we can always rely on. And that's what I came here today to talk to you about, and that's what the Word of God is teaching us. So when you've got, when you truly love Jesus, look at this, trial. See, this is the, this is the hinge. I mean, this is what everything hinges on right here. If I've got to truly love Jesus, then trials will bring about the formation of faith and joy in my soul. But if I'm not loving, see, it's like this. It's like if you went and you went and hired a trainer and you wanted to develop some muscle. If that trainer went and grabbed a dumbbell and he picked that dumbbell up and he threw it at you and hit you with it, that would not develop you. That would destroy you. If he took that same dumbbell and he got you lifting that dumbbell the right way, the right nutrition, the right rest, all those things, then it's going to develop you. We talk about this all the time. What the, listen, what God intends, what God sends into your life to develop you, know this. The enemy wants to take it, pick it up, and throw it at you and destroy you. It's all contingent on my response. I can't control what happens to me. The only thing I can control is how I respond to what happens to me. And that's what joy is. Joy is a response. It's an attitude, and it's not a feeling. And well, this is going to mess us up this morning. But James is going to get us right where he's, he, listen, so James is the first book written in the Bible. It was written before Matthew, before Paul ever penned anything, James wrote this epistle right here, okay? So it is, it's like he's, not, he's not piggybacking off anybody else. And here's the thing, James is filled up with commands. It's like, with this morning, we will see one of the commands he's going to issue to us today. Not suggestions, he makes commands. This is strong. What we're going into, entering into this morning. I want to tell, listen, I just want to be honest with you this morning. I wanted to preach some feel good, happy, upbeat sermons that were going to make us all laugh and smile and be positive because I'm so sick of all the negativity in this world. But I didn't get to choose what I want to preach this morning. And this is what God laid on my heart to start the book of, I mean, I was like, really, God, the book of James? That's, that's tough. But you know, we may have tougher times ahead of us. So God knows what we need, so we got to go by what we need instead of what we want this morning. So let me just start off, because I want you to understand something. Let's lay out a theological foundation before we ever start the book of James, and don't ever waver from this. So when you hear me preach, and you think I'm preaching a self-help sermon, then I want you to refer back to what I'm about to tell you right now. Okay, so here's the thing, justification, okay, so let's say that this is the line right here of God's acceptance, justification, that means right in the sight of God, okay, so I'm justified, how am I justified in God's sight, well there's only one way, and that's in Christ Jesus, 
The Bible talks about that over and over again. The only way that my sins are forgiven is whenever I come into a positional relationship with Jesus Christ where there's what's called the atoning sacrifice, his blood atonement over my sins. So now God does not see my sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at me. That's worth coming to church for right there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that is me being right in God's sight. See, here's our problem, though. Our problem is this, is that we naturally, including myself, we want to do works righteousness. Now, what works righteousness is, is it is Jesus plus something else. Good things. Jesus plus baptism. No, that does not make us right with God. Jesus plus church membership does not make us right with God. See, here's the other thing, too, is that for many of us, especially in evangelical Christianity, here's what we struggle with. We think, okay, David, tell me what I need to do for God to be happy enough for me where he, he's going to bless me. So what have I got to do, David, where I won't get cancer, where I won't struggle with divorce, where I won't have overwhelming debt? Tell me what I need to do where God will be so happy with me that his favor will be on me. Let me ask you something. I mean, just quite honestly, now, we put out that we're going to start the book of James right here. That's not going to be appealing to our world. If we publish that we're going to, we're going to do a sermon series over God being, falling into God's favor or earning God's favor, I think that we'd get a much more positive response. So here's my question to you. I want to seriously ask you a question right now. Why is it that our culture is so drawn to the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel is a gospel that says, okay, I do this, and I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise. Why are we so drawn to that? Do you know why we're drawn to that? Because here's the thing about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel makes me God. I'm the most important person in the story. It's not Jesus, and it's not God, and it's not what's best for my eternal life. It's what's best for my temporary comforts right here and right now. Show me in the Bible. I mean, you take me, listen, take me on a, a systematic theological thread from Genesis to Revelation and show me how the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches just quite the opposite of that, that God is refining us, that God is sanctifying us, that God is more concerned with our eternal life, with our spiritual development than our temporary comforts. So works righteousness, that's always me trying to earn God's approval, and I can't do it. Jesus has already done that for me. So see, I'm going to fall every time. I'm going to disappoint. I'm going to feel like I don't measure up every time. You do realize this. There are so many people that are sitting at home right now that once were sitting in church that will not darken the door of a church because they were taught works righteousness and they felt like they could never measure up. They were never good enough. And it was totally discouraging and defeating to them. And now they won't know. They think God's this, you know, they, they can't measure up. The good news is this. You don't measure up. Amen. That's your good news. You can't do anything to measure up. That's why we need Jesus. So, how do I get to the justification approved by God? How do I get to this? By faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That's the only way. So listen, as we start off in the book of James, know this. This is what we're building on. So when it says... 
you know, that faith without works is dead. Don't think we're teaching a theology that says you've got to do works to earn God's favor. To start right there, listen, if you've been trying to earn God's favor, listen, today, stop fighting a fight that God never intended you to fight. Stop holding on to something God never intended for you to hold on to. Just let go of it. Let's jump in now. James. You know who James was. I mean, James is, that's Jesus' half-brother. They did not have the same daddy. Okay? So if you're in a blended family today, I got good news for you today. Jesus was in a blended family as well. Joseph was his stepdad. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Joseph was not his father, his biological father, okay? So James is his half-brother. Here's the thing you got to understand. James evidently did not become a Christian until after the resurrection. That's an important thing. Because James, the younger brother, could you imagine being Jesus' younger brother, by the way? I mean, man, that's going to be tough. I mean, like your parents' expectation for you, that might be a little bit overwhelming, right? And so there's no doubt that James, I mean, he could have grown up and been, you know, man, this Jesus, man, he just, and, but something changed, and here's what changed. When Jesus died and was buried for three days, and Jesus resurrected himself, Jesus said, I will raise myself back up again. When he resurrected himself back up, and James saw him after the resurrection, that changed James' heart, mind, and soul, and he now became one of the leading Christians. Matter of fact, you go to Acts chapter 15, and you know what? They're having a debate in the early church. Because, because some of the church leaders are saying that people have got to be circumcised to be Christians and follow the law. And so they got, listen to this, check this out. They've got Paul, they've got Peter, they've got John, the top apostles we would think of that are there that are debating this. And do you know who's the one that's presiding over the whole thing, who's like the judge over it all? Go read it. It's James. So James, when he says, a servant right here, a doulos in Greek, a bond slave, a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus. He could have easily said, hey, James, the brother of Jesus. You got to listen to me now. I grew up with a dude in the same house. But he doesn't do that because that doesn't give him any added credibility. It doesn't, listen, no works righteousness, Okay. It's all in Christ Jesus, Christ alone. He gets to heaven the same way everybody else does. To the 12 tribes, you know, you've been, you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard diaspora. That's the Greek word right there, dispersed, abroad. Now, why was the church, why was the church dispersed? It was dispersed because of persecution. So they were pushed to the outer limits of their homeland. That many of them, listen to me, church, this morning, many of them lost their jobs and were separated from their families. Can anybody relate this morning? They were suffering for being a Christian. He says, I'm writing this to you because I know that you've got a foreign 
irritant that has moved in, and I know that you're in turmoil, and you're being flipped over and over and over again, and just about the time that you think I made it through this battle, and I'm out of it, and thank God I got easy times ahead of me, I step right back into more turmoil, over, flipping over, now we're going to lose our jobs, now the economy is going south, no, my goodness, I'm worried, I'm scared, more turmoil, do you feel that this morning? Well, let me tell you something, you are in the right text if you do feel that this morning. James is going to speak right to that. Let me ask you something. Are you irritated today? I've been irritated for three weeks. Just want to be honest with you. This whole thing we've been going through, man, I mean, the stress of the COVID-19 has made me to where I have just been irritated about everything and everybody except for Melissa. And I'll say that if she wasn't sitting here. I'm going to really sit. Let's just be honest this morning. Do you feel your irritation level rising? Have you felt it rising up here recently? Things that used to bother you a little bit, are they bothering you a lot today? Consider it great joy. And this is where James is going to get us, okay? Because what he says right here, this, these two words right here are pasan cheran. Pasan, that... That means unmixed charin is joy. So, okay, so here's what I want him to say. I want him to say, consider it mixed up joy when you face trials of all kinds. Because I don't know about you, but when I hit trials, I'm not very happy. I mean, whenever suffering comes into my life, I mean, there's a mixture of joy and a mixture of heartache. So let me just start this off. Okay, let me say this right here. It is not a sin whenever you hit suffering to mourn and feel bad and all these emotions that are very real. That is not sin, okay? Whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, I mean, it said that he sweat as if it was great drops of blood, and he was praying, God, let this cup pass before me. Now, you want to tell, listen, was he struggling with some stuff right there? Absolutely yes. Did he sin? Absolutely No. Jesus never committed a sin. So whenever, right here, when James says, consider it unmixed joy, I mean, come on, James. Man, this is tough. And here's, here's what I believe that James would say to me. He would say, yeah, David, it is tough. And you know what, brother? You can't do that. That's why the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Joy, y'all know that, huh? So, I mean, I'm not producing that in and of myself. I may not be feeling it, but the Holy Spirit is producing it in me. Okay. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says he's going he's to reinforce what we're learning right here. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. You will definitely have suffering. It's going to happen. You are going to suffer. But be courageous. I have conquered the world. And then here's what Peter says. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So when I hear the prosperity gospel being preached and they're saying, okay, you know, the, the best are always blessed. Yeah, okay. So see, here's our problem. We don't understand what blessed is. We think blessed means a pain-free, suffering-free life where I've got plenty of money and nobody's sick and everything's going great. 
And blessed may be just the opposite. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when people persecute you, revile you, and say all kinds of evil things against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great. Listen, they, they persecuted the, the um, prophets before you just like that. I am glad to see you all back in church, by the way. Because now I can sit here and I can look at y'all that are frowning and looking all upset right now. That camera lens didn't do that for me, all right? <laughs> Something unusual. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings. See, there it is. There's what I see over and over again, that you share in the sufferings of Christ. How did Christ suffer? He suffered on the cross for our sins, Right? I mean, I mean, we just we just read this in Philippians. Paul said, "Man, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and to suffer with him, to somehow die with him, like he died on the cross." He said that in Philippians. So, what are my expectations in this life and in this world? Am I expecting no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no heartache? Am I expecting everything to go good in this world? Because if I am, then here's listen. As then what I've done is I have eased over into the prosperity gospel, works righteousness, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. So he says, consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever you experience various trials. Listen, various trials, you know what various trials are? They're the small irritants and they're the big irritants. They're the little things and they're the big things. They're divorce, they're di debt, they're disease. They're just the, the teenage kids you're trying to put up with right now. They're your job, whatever it may be. Listen, all kinds of trials. That's what he says. Look at this. When you experience, whenever you experience various trials. So what's irritating you right now? Well, here's what I would tell you. That falls under the category of various trials. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. He says, in, in all our afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. I mean, Paul says that we were pressed to the point where we thought we were going to die and not live through it. And he says, in it, not because, listen, I always say, after it's over with, I look back at him and I'm like, man, thank God he brought me through that. I learned so much. I wouldn't want to go back and be the person before that. You've heard me say that before, right? No, no, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, in, when it's happening, in all our afflictions, he says, I am overflowing with joy. Listen, Paul's at a whole different place than I'm at. I want to tell you that right now. Acts chapter 5, the apostles are persecuted for Christ. And it says, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, beaten, they were beaten. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. So, joy and suffering. Here's what I do. It's going to tune me in to my eternal perspective. It's going to, listen, joy and suffering will tune in your freedom. You know what? See, here's what we need freedom from. See, Suffering can be, has, I've heard suffering defined like this. Suffering is whenever something is taken from me that I think should not be taken from me. Okay? So here's the thing. 
Freedom is whenever I get to the point where I'm not in love with this world and the stuff of this world. I'm in love with Jesus. Here's the thing. For most of us, the stuff of this world has to break our heart over and over and over again before we finally get to the point to where, hey, you know what? I need to have all my affections tuned in to Jesus, to my family, to my friends. I need to be loving those things instead of the things of this world. So Melissa has got an older brother. He is, um, he was a, had a business in Dallas. He was doing great several years ago, I guess about eight years ago. About eight years ago, one day, he got a headache, got so bad, he drove to the um, urgent care and didn't hardly get in there very good, and he had a massive stroke just out of the blue. Almost lost his life. He lived, but let me tell you something. Here's what happened. He's living in a nursing home today. He lost everything of this world you could lose. So he's in a nursing home now. I don't know if you got any family members in a nursing home now. They don't get to see anybody or do anything. So he's sitting in a room by himself, and he's lost everything. So he called Melissa yesterday, and Melissa had him on the speakerphone. And here's what he was doing. All he can do is talk about how great Jesus is now. He, no, before, this, before this happened... I hardly ever heard him talk about Jesus. I mean, he was busy, man. He had his life. He had stuff going on. Not that he wasn't a believer, but I want to tell you something, man. He now is a hyper-Christian is what I would call him. All he talks about is Jesus. Man, he's like, man, I watched these, these videos on YouTube about Israel and all this. He was sharing this with Melissa. He was so excited about it. And I thought, wow, you know, man, I mean, everything in this world got stripped away, and now the dude is just seriously in love with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you today, are you busy? And you come walking here today, did you sit down? You say, man, this has been a crazy, busy week. You've been busy with the blessings of God. So busy that you don't have time to stir up your affections for Jesus. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to guilt you into something. But I just want to reframe this for you. All those things, you can lose them today. They can be gone today. So those blessings that you enjoy that are stressing you out, those are the good gifts of God in your life. So if you're not, listen, it's just this simple, okay? If you're not stirring your affections for Jesus, your trials and your stress and your irritants, they're not going to be developing you. They're going to be destroying you. So what is it that stirs up your affections for Jesus? That's what you got to be thinking about, and that's what you got to be intentional about. Listen, that clock's moving way fast back there. It's going to hurry up. You know something? When you suffer, you know you become a compassionate, right? And whenever you suffer, it's going to tune in your faith. So I'm going to move on. Because you know that the testing of your faith, so the testing of your faith, the visual he's given us here, this, the visual comes from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 21. It's about your faith going through the fire, okay? Like this, it says, a crucible refined silver. So that's the fire refines the silver, a smelter refines gold, and a person refines, so here's the silver and gold that's been through the fire is more valuable than before it went through the fire. Are you with me on that? Okay, so it's more valuable. The irritant, the flipping over and over and over, developing our joy and our faith, but look at this, a person refines his praise. First time I read that, I was like, what? 
So prayed about that, and here's what, here, listen, here's what this is saying. Your flesh, are you listening to me say amen? you got to get this this morning. Your flesh does not want you to seek Jesus. It's just that simple. You're not going to feel like stirring your affections for Jesus. You've got to discipline yourself to do that. You've got to refine your flesh to praise Jesus. So I'm asking you, what is it that stirs your affections for Jesus? You're not naturally going to want to do that. So don't feel bad this morning when you sat here and think, man, David's just beating us over the head with a Bible again. I feel so guilty. I feel like a terrible Christian. No, no, no. I want you to feel, I want you to feel just the opposite. I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to experience just the opposite. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. If you fall in love with Jesus, nobody's going to have to beat you over the head with anything. You're not going to feel condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I've got to work on the things that stir my affections for Jesus. I work on the things that stir my affections for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my church. If I don't work on that, it's not naturally going to happen. I'm going to naturally slide the other direction. The old preachers called it backsliding. So I've got to force, I've got to discipline myself to do those things. And when I fall deeply in love with Jesus, then, then it's going to start coming more natural. Are you with me now? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces Hupo, this compound word in Greek. Hupo right here, meno. Hupo, meno. What that means, hupo is where we get our word hyper. Okay? Meno stand. So here's what it's going to do. The testing of your faith. Your faith going through the fire. That, that irritant inside of you being flipped over and over and over. That's developing your joy and your faith. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to help you to hyper stand. When the flames get hotter... When more irritants come in, when more tumbling happens in your life, you now are going to develop the ability to hyperstand, not be moved. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, right there in the middle of the whole spiritual warfare stuff. Look at what it says. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. <clears throat> I heard this my whole life in church, but nobody told me how to do this. I'm going to tell you how to do it right now, okay? You want to know how you put on the armor of God? It's not by just reading this text. You put on the armor of God by praying. So every day I pray, God, I want to put on the breastplate of righteousness, take up the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the shoes shod with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put those on today. I take my position in Christ Jesus. That's how I pray. If I don't pray like that, I'm not going to have the armor of God. See, some of y'all are like, man, y'all want the armor of God. Well, you've got to be praying it every day. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, I love this, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Be hyper standing right there. Do y'all see that, church? You're not going to be moved. And let... Endurance. So we're going to the next verse, last verse right here. We're covering four whole verses this morning. Praise the Lord. And let hupomeno have its full effect 
So that you may be mature. Now, mature, complete, and lacking nothing, three different Greek words. They essentially mean the same thing. They mean mature. So here's my question to you. What is a mature Christian? We got to, let's define that this morning, okay? Okay? So a, a mature Christian is not a perfect Christian. A mature Christian is not a Christian who does not sin. A mature Christian is... A Christian who is in tune with the power of the Holy Spirit, that when they do sin, they immediately recognize it. And they confess it and they repent it. Repent of it. And if I'm, if we are sinning against someone else, it's not just recognizing it myself, but asking for forgiveness right there and right then. Asking for God to grant me repentance. See, a mature Christian is not a perfect Christian. God, forgive me for every time I've said, oh, they're a good Christian. They're good Christians. Technically, there's no such thing. Okay? There's mature Christians, more mature and less mature. That's really what it is. It's not about us being good. Because when we start talking about good, now we're starting to find, try to find a standard. So what is good? What does that mean? The rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God alone. Go sell everything you got. Take that money. Go give it to poor and come follow me. And it said that he went away sad. That's a good rabbit to chase right there. I'm going to let it go, though. See you later. <laughs> so let's come back to this. When you truly love Jesus. So we're not doing works righteousness here, church. When you truly love trials will bring about the formation of faith and joy in your soul. The turmoil you're in right now. It's your choice. Is it going to be building a pearls of faith inside of you, or is it going to be destroying you? That's your faith. That's your choice how you respond to that. Hebrews 12, 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. You do realize your faith comes from God. You activate what the source and perfecter, sanctification of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he hupomeno the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He stood in his position in the cross. Do you see that now, church? That's what, what's the joy that was set before him? The joy was this, your salvation. You being in Christ, you being forgiven, you being justified, you being right in God's sight, that was the joy that was set before him. So Paul writes to the church of Galatians. Here's what happened. There's some religious leaders in Galatia that were telling people they had to be circumcised, works righteousness, to be saved. They had to have Jesus and be circumcised just like in Acts chapter 15. And here is what Paul writes to them. He says this, oh, my dear children, I feel, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. He said, what he's saying is that you're driving me crazy. <laughs> That's East Texas version right there, okay? And they will continue until, look at this. Christ is fully developed in your lives. So a pearl doesn't just develop overnight. Your spiritual maturity isn't just going to develop overnight. See, we've got so many people that have gotten so discouraged with their faith because they keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. Listen, if that's you this morning, then here's what I want to tell you something. Listen, listen. 
It's not about you slaying the giant in your life. Jesus already slayed the giant in your life. It's not about you being a Daniel and facing stuff. Listen, Jesus is the Daniel that's faced the lions and overcame every enemy you will ever face, okay? So it isn't about you being the hero. Jesus is the hero. You got that this morning? So when he's formed in you, then here's what happens. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, I need thee every hour I need thee. Oh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, I live right there in those three statements right there. See, I mean, that's, that's Christ being formed in me. It's not about me being too bad. It's about me needing God all the time. And it's not about me being too good. I'm the hero. Do y'all see that this morning? Jesus is the hero. Let me just, let me just you, know, you know, I'm not trying to hype you up right now. I just want to really ask you a serious question. Are you excited about going to heaven? So let me tell you something. I know one dude that's excited about going to heaven. I know this dude is excited. Let me tell you who he is. It's Melissa's brother. Because he lost everything in this world. And I guarantee you one day, you know, if, if I outlive him and I'm there at his funeral, whatever, I'm going to be thinking, man, he finally got what he was so looking forward to. If you're sitting here this morning, let's just be honest now. No matter, regardless of what you just said just then, if you're not looking forward to going to heaven, then it's probably because you're too much in love with this world. And I just want to tell you again, let's reframe that. It's going to get you in the end. It's going to disappoint you. Okay? This world's got to be remade. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be regenerated by God in the end. Then it's going to be something beautiful we'll live in forever and ever without sin. The devil's going to be gone out, cast out. Man, it's going to be mm, good stuff. Can I finish this sermon right quick? Is it okay with y'all? So here we go. Last verse of the day today. Y'all did real good. Only saw three people yawn. Praise the Lord. We'll have coffee next week, I believe. All right? <laughs> yeah. Do not be conformed to this age, but be... Now, the, 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 the stem word right here is metamorpho, metamorphosis. Be, met, be metamorphosized, okay? There's our word right there I'd make up, metamorphosized. By the... Baptism of your body. By going to church. By the renewing of your mind. You see, your baptism, you're going to church, your Bible study, and your prayer, that should be renewing your mind. That should be a metamorphosis taking place in your mind. And when your mind has been transformed, then it's going to transform your whole life. It's going to transform your perspective, the way you see this world, the way you see other people, the way you see yourself, the way you see God. It's going to transform every aspect of your life. See, me? so that's the goal. When we're, the things that stir my affection for Jesus... That's what's bringing life transformation. If I'm just feeling better about myself, if it's just making me the hero, if I'm just bragging and going to Jeff, Jeff, man, listen, I spent three hours in prayer this morning, brother. It was hard. My knees are hurting. That's me being the hero. Whenever Jeff said, man, goes, wow, David, man, you're a super Christian. That's me being the hero. Do y'all see that? But if it's stirring my affections for Christ, for Jesus, man, whenever I get through it, I'll sit back and I say, man, there is nothing more beautiful than Jesus. 
died on the cross while I was still a sinner, while I was his enemy, he still died for me. He endured the cross, scorning the shame, set down by the right hand of the Father. Man, I mean, he has set the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for me today. Man, he loves me with a love that is unchanging, uncompromising, an unconditional love. Man, my affections are getting stirred. You see that, church? So the next time you see a butterfly flying, think about Romans 12 too. Here's what amazes me. I always wonder when I see that butterfly floating so effortlessly, I think, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if he remembers when he used to be a caterpillar and it would take him hours to crawl laboriously over that ground that now in just seconds he effortlessly floats over. I see, now, boy, right here, it'd be real good putting some works righteousness about you being good, Christian, and you just floating over your circumstances and you being the hero. But listen, get this. The transforming of your mind and the transforming of your life is not about life being easier here and now. Matter of fact, it may get harder. But here's the thing you now will have the ability under the power of the Holy Spirit to respond in a different way to the trials, the irritants, the flipping over and over in your life. So what is the irritant right now? Let's all stand this morning. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is sovereign? So that means that God's in control of everything is what that means. So COVID-19, you know, we've said this over and over again, but let's just reframe it. Did not catch God by surprise. The riots in Dallas didn't catch God by surprise. The irritants that you're facing, you know I mean, right now, some of y'all are thinking, no, David, no, this is a little more than an irritant. This is a turmoil that's flipping over and over, flipping my life over and over and over again. That did not catch God by surprise. It could be that God sent it. It could be that you brought it on yourself. And it could be that you're connected to somebody else closely that brought it into your life. But here's the thing. Regardless of how it got there, it did not catch God by surprise. So my question this morning for all of us is this. What is it forming in my soul as I go through this? Is it forming my faith? Is my joy growing? Is it growing stronger? Or is it destroying me? So if it's destroying me, then I got to ask myself this question Am I too much in love? with this world, the things of this world. Corey Ten Boom lost all of her family, the German death camps, Nazi death camps. And she said, I learned not to hold on too tightly to anything because it hurts too much when the Lord pries my fingers open.
So how much, let's pray, Lord. Let's just pray right now. So God, you know my heart. So God, just help me to see. Do I have disordered loves in my life right now? Can you pray that? Is there something in my life that's an idol that I'm loving more than you? God, just show me where my heart is misleading me. Grant me repentance from my sins. So maybe this morning you realize that you've been trying to earn God's acceptance and approval. If that's so, then would you pray with me right now? So God, I just turn away from my own efforts to earn my salvation. And I turn to Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. So God, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and my life, my mind, my soul, and be my Lord and Savior today. Maybe you are saved, but you've been working, trying to earn God's favor and approval. So God, just forgive me for holding on to the things I shouldn't hold on to. We're fighting the battles that you did not intend for me to fight. And for trying to be something that you did not purpose me to be. God, help me today to position myself in Christ, in your grace. And I thank you that I'm seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies today. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God, help me to forgive others. Help me to forgive myself. Grant me that forgiveness, O oh God. Help me to hold lightly to the things of this world. So let me ask you something right now. Let's finish up this prayer with this. So what is it that stirs your affections for Jesus? Whatever it is, would you pray about that right now? God, tomorrow, let me double down on my prayer, a devotional reading, listening to worship music, whatever it is. If you don't know what it is, and say, just pray this. God, help me see Show me what it is that stirs my affections for Jesus. Help, I just crucify my flesh today with this desires. I die to my self-interest. Today that I may live for Christ. For his glory and his resurrection. Help me, God, to live the resurrected life right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated?